Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team? Build a new office? Hey, it's Tug, and I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you're dealing with a new person? You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. This is a 680 The Fan podcast. To hear more live and local sports content like this, tune into 680 AM or 93.7 FM or download the Fan app. What are your plans for your business this year? Hey, it's Tug. Do you want to expand and grow? Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you got a new person to deal with? You have to start all over again? You don't have that with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they want to know you. Unlike big banks, they want to partner with you. The Frost family knows the patterns. They know the ebbs and flows. They know business. Get to know them at FirstLibertyGA.com. Building a building? Buying a building? Buying a franchise? Expanding? Reach out to them. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. You do that at FirstLibertyGA.com. And by the way, if you're a young banker and want to work with a team that is faith-friendly and has a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to them today. First Liberty Building and Loan. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. Na, 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 Chuck and Chernoff. Na, 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 Chuck and Chernoff. It's 3 o'clock on the dot. You know what that means. It's time for Matt Lana and the Kings. Na, 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 Chuck and Chernoff. Na, 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 Chuck and Chernoff on the fan. Driving home in the traffic jam. But we got Chuck and Chernoff on the fan. Na, 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 Chuck and Chernoff. Na 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 Chuck and Chernoff, the fan. Wow, I didn't know Chuck Dowdle had that in him. I've known Chuck for over a decade. I've never heard him sing, and he's sober too. He doesn't drink. Oh, he hits the karaoke bars on Beaufort Highway like nobody. He did, did that not. in one take. Yeah. No Pro Tools. No auto tune. He is really oh. big into Sister Christian. Yeah, I can see uh, that. Pour some sugar on me. Yeah. So, piano man. He keeps it more glam, hair metal, sort of. He's a savant. Who knew? Chuck Dowdle can do it all. When he's not analyzing Georgia basketball, when he's not commenting on uh, anything Georgia, Chuck Dowdle's singing at the local karaoke bars as we welcome you in with that. The 3 o'clock hour of the show presented by This Stuff Matters, helping you make the most of what matters most. Like and subscribe to This Stuff Matters podcast at thisstuffmatters.net. Mike Morgan in for Chernoff, Chuck Oliver, Steve West. Welcome, everybody. Wednesday, just after 3 o'clock. Don't forget the bottom of the hour, Mark Bowman, friend of the program, will uh, talk to us from spring training, talk to us about some Braves 
baseball. We'll get in knee-deep into that for sure. Uh, we'll also return some college football conversation, including some interesting trends going on in the way of scoring or lack thereof. But first, fellas, we talked a lot of draft yesterday. I turned on the TV this morning. I'm watching some of the Carnival Barker shows just out of desperation. Uh, and, yes, the Falcons keep coming up. Everybody th- seems to think have a theory or hearing rumors about what Atlanta is going to do. And the more I thought about what you were saying yesterday, West, I, I mean, you want kind of a stopgap, immediate improver. Give me a guy who's going to win the division now, right? You're not necessarily all about drafting a guy. Raheem Morris is on record as saying the immediate goal is to win the NFC South. He's said mm-hmm. that. So that doesn't tell me that we're going to be looking to develop another young quarterback right yeah. away, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what Raheem Morris is supposed to say. But, yes, I agree with you. That that's There's a good chance they go that direction. If that's the case, I'm convinced you have to go Kirk Cousins as your first option here. You you don't know what you're dealing with with Justin Fields. You don't you don't know second round, fourth round pick. I mean, we can debate whether or not that's even a value, but you do know it's a gamble. Uh, even to me, Baker Mayfield is a gamble. I realize he he got his v- together last year, which was a nice one off, but he's overall pretty a pretty inconsistent player since being the number one pick in the draft. If you want surefire, you know what you're getting. Uh, here's a guy that's going to help you get better at the one position you desperately need to get better, then the answer to me is Kirk Cousins. It doesn't sound like Minnesota is in a hurry to keep him in town. Well, they don't have anybody right now. They don't have any legitimate choice. They can activate the second year for Taylor Heineke. They're not going to do that. He can't play much. He's cheap. Okay, at least he's cheap. He can't play. Uh, Dez, the dynamic with quarterback, it's the one thing in sports, even starting pitchers, I don't buy it quarterbacks when they say i just needed a new environment absolutely that is a real thing with qbs des will never ever be successful for the atlanta falcons he may go to the chargers he may go to the seahawks may go to the jets and be successful it's not going to happen here when you step into the huddle there's at least five guys who are thinking this cat got yanked three times last year and and we didn't have a backup and he got yanked three times um, so they don't have a quarterback at all. So Baker's a massive upgrade. Ryan Tannehill, massive upgrade because they don't have anybody. If they draft a quarterback at eight or they trade up to four or whatever, Marvin Harrison goes in one of the top three and the Falcons go, oh, damn, look, Marvin Harrison went in one of the top three, four, a quarterback's available. We trade up. Ryan Tannehill's a massive improvement over a rookie quarterback at four. Well, you can get him for next to nothing because Tennessee's done with him. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, they're going Will Levis. They're going some, somewhere else. So they, they're, you're talking Russell Wilson. Is he good? Not really. Mm. Massive improvement over a rookie like Bo Nix yeah. may turn into something. But if you're talking about 24 and 25, yeah, Russell Wilson gives you a better choice than Bo Nix or Michael Penix or any of them. Mike, what do you think the difference in money between Cousins, money and years between Cousins and Baker Mayfield would be? I mean, I'd like to think that Baker would be cheaper at this point. Uh, again, to me, the top of that mountain, uh, every name that just came out of our mouths, it's a no-brainer. It's Kirk Cousins. But with that will probably come the highest price tag. As I mentioned, Tannehill, uh, Tannehill is at the end of his career, and they ain't a whole lot of takers for Tannehill right now. I agree he'd be an upgrade, a massive upgrade. Anybody almost that's done anything. Yeah, Kyler Murray, if by some way, because they were trying to hand him away for about two weeks, yeah, and then maybe contract, they pull back on that. Uh, yeah. Kyler Murray massive upgrade over Des Ritter or Heineke, yes. which who aren't or whoever just 
clubhouse nightmare, though. When's he going to be now? Yeah. When's he going to be now? Well, but would you agree? I mean, of the of those names, we just threw four or five out there. Kirk Cousins, number one of the list. I agree, and sure I know that the Vikings agree, and maybe there's some. And I'm, I'm not like a lot of teams may look at Kirk Cousins and go, "He's the best choice," and if he's healthy. They're all right, and there's only one of him. Yeah, and, and again, we're not talking about a five-year solution. All these guys, I mean, with the exception of like a Kyra Murray, all these guys have a limited shelf life. They're all at the last chapter of their career. But if I'm going to go that route, if I'm going to go short-term fix, and it's all about winning the worst division in football and just saying we made the playoffs and using those, those toys around the quarterback position that Atlanta has drafted over the years, then to me, Kirk Cousins is by far and away the safest bet. I, I agree, but again, I think the argument against Cousins is coming off the injury, the money's going to be higher, and I think the argument in favor of Baker Mayfield is seems to be peaking career-wise. The money's not going to be as much. Oh, and by the way, not only do you improve your situation at quarterback, you hurt the situation at quarterback for the three-time defending champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So that's why I'm more intrigued by the possibility of luring Baker Mayfield north oh, from the Bay Area. I love that. Always, and this is true, folks, life, business, sports, always handle your own business as the priority. New sentence. But if I can poke my rival in the eye at the same time, F and A, absolutely, that, that's true. Um, here is the difference. You can't just... Like Kirk Cousins, you're right, but you can't call him. You can't. I call Kirk Cousins dibs. Like you can't draft him. You can't force him here. You can force Bo Nix. You can force Penix. You can force Jaden Daniels or Drake May or whoever falls to four if Marvin Harrison, you know, slides up one spot. Um, you can't force Kirk Cousins. You can even offer him more money and more years, and he can go. No, nah, my daughter's a ninth grader. We don't want to move. Like that ish happens all the time. Fred McGriff told the Cubs in the middle of remember he's like nah I'm gonna stay in Tampa why uh, I like it here so you can't you can't draft him and force them you're right about Kirk Cousins yeah but we may finish second third or fourth on Cousins' list uh, there's no question he's and first on ours but that this goes back to the conversation we all had uh you know a month ago leading up to the Panthers game and I said you know if they do lose it really wouldn't be a, the worst idea to just lose out and get one of those top three picks we wouldn't even be having this conversation because then you're not worried about Kirk Cousins Baker Mayfield or any other retread you're taking one of the top three quarterback prospects in this draft that just about everybody seems to believe they are all highly highly evaluated safe as safe as a draft pick can be at the quarterback spot but you're not getting that so now, unless you're going to take a chance on, like you said, a Bo Nix, J.J. McCarthy, what have you, this is this is option number B. You go back to the, the old established well. Now, let's talk about Ryan Tannehill. And, Chuck, you remember this well because I've heard Matt Chernoff say this on more than one occasion. His nightmare scenario was the Falcons keep Arthur Smith – and Smith brings Tannehill in here to play quarterback next year. And we lose okay. one more season. To so the, if yeah. that's a nightmare scenario then, why wouldn't it be a nightmare scenario now? I'm not down oh, with Tannehill. No, 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 no. I'm saying even Ryan Tannehill. Is an upgrade. Because he's Ryan, competent. Ryan Tannehill shows up the first day in Flowery Branch and you hand him the playbook. And like he introduces himself to Zach Robinson because they don't know each other from anything. Hi, I'm Ryan. He says, here's the playbook. He flips through and says, I can do that. I can do that. He's like, all right, let's go. Like, now, he has to then go execute at a high level. But as far as, like, you're not teaching him anything. You're coaching him. You are teaching Des Ritter football. 
You're no. teaching him NFL football. You want to be able to at least coach. That's what I'm saying. Even Ryan Tannehill, who, like, they tri- Will Levis, they tried Malik Willis, they tried, like, I mean, I understand. That was the far extreme example from Kirk Cousins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're teaching Desmond Ritter, and, and you're learning what Desmond Ritter can't do at the same time. There's a lot of teaching yeah. going on in that scenario. One other question on this. Okay, so once you figure out the quarterback spot, give me the number two priority for this team. What position? Pass rusher. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And, we, and again, I, I just think it's too good to be true to get Dallas Turner at eight. I'm like, I'm already jinxing that that's, gonna, that's not going to happen. But I'm a big, like Jimmy Johnson used to say, quarterback D-line, that's where I start my teams, college, pro, any level. I'm right there. Go ahead, Steve. Chuck, what would it take to get Josh Allen? Not Josh Allen, Buffalo, but Tampa. Kentucky, uh, Jacksonville, Josh Allen. I mean, Jacksonville. Yeah. Um, oh, he's a stud. He's just Devin a pro, White. He just had a Pro um, Bowl year. Yeah, he. are not um, letting him go. Yeah, he's a sack. He's about he's, to get paid. I, I mean, I'm with you, Westy. I love him. Loved him in college. Love him at Jacksonville. He he just yeah, made he's a, pro- a guy that they spent like a top six or whatever yeah. pick on, and and it turned out they ain't like this him. is not even Jadavion who was the first overall pick, and they're like, believe me, he's good against the run. I swear, um, that's not what this is. This is not Cleveland Furl. Very quickly, back to the quarterback situation. Uh, we didn't have a quarterbacks coach last year. Dave Ragone was a coordinator and handled the quarterbacks. Now Zach Robinson comes in. T.J. Yates has been retained. He was coaching receivers last year. Now he's going to be the quarterbacks coach. Robinson and Yates go back to when they were counselors during their collegiate careers at Oklahoma State and North Carolina, respectively, at the Manning Passing Camp. So I think that's going to be an area of improvement and clarity this year in terms of the quarterback situation. Whoever it turns out to be is actually going to have a coach, a position coach. They're going to need to get things straightened up in a hurry, but you got to find out who it's going to be. And we're sitting here in late February and still more questions than answers at this I'll point. tell you one thing that just surprised me. I look at Jake Matthews. He turned 32 last week. He's been around for a while. Yeah. He can still play another four or five years. Yeah. Like, this, this offensive line is all under contract. Yeah. Caleb McGarry, he may be replaced before Jake Matthews. And Jake Matthews, he may play another four or five years over there. So, and the reason I was looking is you said – all right, what's next? And I said, pass rusher. I was like, wait a minute, what about pass protector? Right. Because that's what it's all about. The quarterback and then hitting the quarterback. Mm-hmm. So if it's not associated with that, I'm not spending like top three, top five picks on it. Yeah. Um, and I was like, what about the pass protector? And I was like, no, Jake Matthews is still, he just turned 32. So I think he's always been a B minus to B plus guy, which hell, if it turns into a 10 or 11 or 12 or 13 year career, that's not nothing. Um and they still may have four or five seasons from him. Yeah, they got plenty of value to that pick. I need a winging it idea. It's time to wing it. Presented by WNB Factory. Serving up Atlanta's best wings and burgers with over 60 locations. Find yours at WNBFactory.com. I think the three of us were talking about this off the air yesterday, all the different stadiums and arenas we've been to, either just as fans or in a work capacity. Westy might have the most, like, nondescript just completely <laughs> off the wall places that anybody's been to uh the ballpark stadium arena you haven't been to but need to go to around the horn what you got either one of you i wouldn't mind visiting the pit in albuquerque oh wow um just because that was an 83 the um Alvano Wolfpack team and Fi Slamma Jamma. Yeah. Georgia played in that final four. Georgia sure did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Without Dominique Wilkins, everybody makes correct. that mistake. The year after that. Right. Um, and it's sort of a, one of those historic, like, it's, it's not just that this thing happened there. 
it's that it was ever scheduled there. The final four, they said, and by the way, uh, two years will be in Albuquerque. And everybody was like, cool, see you in the middle of the desert. Um, and so the final four was in Albuquerque in the pit. And they call it the pit because you walk in at ground level and you start just heading down. Yeah, they dug a 37-foot hole in the South Mesa. I've been there. And you go straight down, and the fans are right on top of you. And it's bleacher-style seating in the student sections in the end zone, chairbacks everywhere else. It's been completely renovated and upgraded to current standards, and you're absolutely right. That's a that's a great facility. You just put that out of T for Westy to knock it out of the park, as he did. What about, Westy, you have been to, I don't know, 300 different of these? Find yes. one you had. What, Laradice was your number one. Laradice is a great college town, man. I love it out there. Been to a basketball game there at Arena Auditorium. Been to War Memorial Stadium. Absolutely beautiful. But the one I haven't been inside, I've been outside. It. Bucket list. Got to go to Cameron Indoor. Have not oh, seen a oh. game with the Cameron Crazies. Uh, I've got to do that. I have called three games there. How is and it? I felt like a kid in the candy store. Uh, it's weird because this is the only place I've ever uh, done a basketball game for ESPN where you are not front and center. You have to climb a ladder like you're in a submarine, and you are on this little bird's nest up top. So you you can look at you can almost touch the roof of Cameron Indoor, and then you're looking down. The players look like ants, and you have to rely somewhat on the monitors to really get the whole thing. So you are you're, it's not like any other arena where you see the announcers right there front and center with their headsets on. You have to climb up a ladder. I did a game there with Lafonso Ellis, who's about six nine. And this poor guy in a suit has to climb a metal ladder up. The, I mean, this is like a lawsuit waiting to happen. So what does it look like? Is it like a rectangle, a square? Is it bleachers? Is it like a gymnasium? It's, what it's is it? It's mainly bleachers. I mean, there's nothing about it that's uh, fancy at all. If you want fancy, you go to the Dean Dome. That's mm-hmm. wine and cheese. That everything is plush. Duke is like old school Cracker Box gym. Barely got AC. Barely got AC. Dead it's, spot on the floor. It's the Wrigley Field. Of basketball okay. arenas, it's the it, that's the best way I. That could was put the, it. like everybody the the magic hook shot was at the Boston Garden, right? By Magic, yeah, By Magic Johnson, yeah, nineteen eighty-seven. Okay. Um, people like it was real. There was no AC in there. There were that's dead right. spots all over the parquet. Yeah. Like you talk about home court advantage on purpose. Yeah, yeah. it was like eighty-eight degrees because it's June 9th and you're playing a game. You know, six of the finals, yep. and they're having to mop up the floor because the condensation uh, condensation coming oh, up yeah. from the that's, hockey rink oh, that's yeah. underneath yeah. it. No, it was class. We don't have. We don't have anything like that no, anymore. No, that doesn't even. That's that, old that testament. That's not even old school. That's... For for me, I've been to every MLB stadium I want to, either as an announcer or a fan. Every NFL, college football, bucket list would love to be or broadcast a game at Washington in Seattle, overlooking the water. Husky I hear it's Stadium, beautiful. Yep. You've been Westy. I have not been okay. to Husky let's, Stadium. Let's that, you make it that far, yeah. and I'll and I'll throw in Camp Randall at Wisconsin. Okay. That is an unbelievable, everybody tells me, incredible environment, never been. Husky Stadium and Neyland Stadium are the two college football venues where the fans can arrive on a boat and embark yes. and de-embark and then go walk to the stadium. Yeah, yeah. I th- but I think, I think Husky Stadium, the water there is a little more it's more breathtaking yeah, yeah, yeah. than it is, no offense to Neyland Stadium and the Little River. Yeah, right you got there. Clemson fans that are angry with you right now. Can you get off a boat and walk to Memorial Stadium, Death oh, Valley? Oh, you want to walk. It's so it's a far walk. Colin, 
Yeah, that's not yeah, exactly. walk through the cow pastures. That, that's yeah. not a hop, skip, and a jump. No, it's not like you dock at the. Yeah, stadium. they don't got yeah, nice Neyland docks stadium. over no. there. No, 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 no. Hartwell's Hartwell. Yeah. Come on, yeah. <laughs> a little different vibe. <laughs> All right, hashtag wicked it idea. The Pacific sound again. Your uh, ballpark stadium arena you haven't been to, but you need to go to. All right, coming up next, do we need a dog? D a w g, d a w g to make a home in the battery. Have you been to the battery? I have. What's your favorite place to eat at the Battery? Uh, there's quite a few of them. We'll go over that on the other side of this timeout at 680 The Fan of 93.7 FM. Thank you, DT. 27 minutes past the hour at 3 o'clock. It is Chuck and Chernoff. Mike Morgan, Chuck Chernoff, Steve West in the house. Taking you up until 6 o'clock. We got Mark Bowman coming up. In just a few minutes, he's down there in spring training with the gang. Ask him a lot of things about what's going on as we're getting into full force here. Got a game coming up in just a few days. On the road, right? The first game is a short little trip to Tampa's. To play the Rays. That's accurate, yes. Okay, fair enough. I knew that. I saw a lot of blank faces when I asked that question. Tampa. Tampa. There you go. 105 on Saturday. You can listen. On 680 The Fan. Right here on 680 The Fan. Where's Tampa's spring training base located? Does anyone know? Is it in Tampa? It's got to be. I mean, St. Pete. But the Jays are in Dunedin, so, I mean, what are you going to go didn't further Mets, away from that? Didn't the Mets and the Cardinals used to be in St. Pete back in the day? Way back when, yeah. Rays are in Port Charlotte, Florida. But what about the Rays? They're in Port Charlotte as well? Is it the Rays, yes. Rays, yes. okay. There Port Charlotte's right around the corner from Northport. Yeah. Now, Tampa's getting a new... They're getting a new stadium, right? Did that finally pass, or is that just rumored? They've been talking about it forever. I, I thought there might have been, like, some serious actual, like, pen to paper, like, we're actually getting getting this done. Yeah, I, I've, I've been – it's been sworn to me that the current stadium – It's awful. Kind of in a strip plaza with a retirement center and a U-Haul return. It, it is truly the worst. That they share a parking lot with a U-Haul return. Yeah, it's, it's the worst venue in sports. I mean, it's uh, – professional sports, I can't th- – I mean, oh, the Oakland A's, but we know that that's about to be history. They're going to be the Vegas A's. Tampa's not moving anytime soon. No. There's been 27 rumors that they would. They never and even do. And people in Tampa apparently resent that they have to drive to St. Petersburg. Traffic is – I will say this, it's brutal. Like people put like when's our team going to be here? Yeah, Tampa, Clearwater, St. Pete. Yeah, they're all close, but to to get in your car and get from one to another could be an hour. It, it takes a long time to get over two seventy five or the Courtney Campbell Causeway. I know those very well. Yeah, Pinellas County is not an easy get to. No. Now, where's the new state? Is it going to be in St. Pete or is it going to be in Tampa? I, I this be- says St. Pete. I believe it's going to be in St. Pete, um, but obviously a lot nicer. And I think I think. It's supposed to be a little bit easier to get in and out of. Uh, it hasn't been much of a factor because usually they don't draw very well no. anyway. Uh, but every now and then they have been good. They have been to a World Series. They have done some things there, <laughs> even though it's so funny because like the Marlins, with with at was at the time was at one of the crappiest stadiums. They go to two uh, World Series, win two championships. What oh, oh seven and ninety seven oh three. Yeah, ninety seven oh three. Yeah. Thank you. Ninety seven oh three. Uh, now they get the brand new ballpark in Miami, which I've been to. It just doesn't doesn't make any sense to have it there at all. It's, the old Orange Bowl is where it is. Yes. The, the Miami Heat has worked. The Tampa Bay Lightning has worked. Correct. Yes. Okay. Um, there is a thought that pro sports that the Miami Dolphins were just sort of an exception, an aberration because of Don Shula. Like minus Don Shula, the Dolphins. Honestly, the Dolphins have never worked minus Don Shula. Um, 
that pro sports in the state of Florida, it can't work. There are at least a couple where it did. Now I'll say pro sports in Florida really started with what the Dolphins in 60, whatever, six. Um, there's not a lot of history of success of pro sports in that state. The magic that hadn't really worked. Um, did the heat really work or did LeBron decide that it was going to work? Uh, the heat work from the standpoint of people love to go and be seen there. They don't follow. They're not sitting the there. Tampa and, Bay Lightning, I'm thinking that worked only because of things I hear on ESPN. It's it's a Dolphin state, and if you've been to South Florida and you listen to a talk show like this for, for four hours, it's nothing but Dolphin talk. They don't know anything else. They don't care about anything else. They pretend to care about the Marlins, the heat. It is Dolphin, 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 Dolphin. Peter Ubaroff, who was the chairman of the 1984 Olympic Games in Los Angeles and later briefly was the commissioner of Major League Baseball, He said that baseball could work, pro baseball could work in Florida, but one team in Orlando. And I think truer words never were spoken when you look at the trajectory, as you said, despite success early on of the Marlins and pretty good teams there in Tampa. They played in a World Series not that long ago. Uh, But again, the, you have a lot of people on limited income in those areas, and I think Orlando just would have been a better market. Yeah, the, the Marlins are a train wreck where they are right now. I'll tell you guys, not a train wreck, and he covers an organization that's also not a train wreck. He joins us on the Hobson and Hobson Newsmaker line. He is Mark Bowman joining us from spring, spring training. Mark, how are you, sir? Good. How are you guys doing? We're, we're doing great, man. We're doing great. I, you know, as if there wasn't enough to get excited about with the rotation and Spencer Strider, you start hearing all this talk about working on a, on a curveball to kind of complement – the fastball and the slider. What's what's the latest on that? What is he tinkering with, and how effective do you think it'll be? Well, I mean, I think it's it's, it's good to just have something that, that gives you a little bit different look. You know, he's a fastball slider guy who, you know, he, he has proven he can be successful with those two pitches. He's tinkered with a changeup. It really doesn't fit his, his delivery. You know, the changeup is – it's been effective here and there. It's just always going to probably be inconsistent because of just his his frame, his delivery, his release point, his approach. It just it's not that pitch for him. So the natural thing to do is just sit here and, and kind of just tinker with, you know, what what do I do? What a pressure point here with the fingers? I'm going to move this finger here, put the pressure point here. Um, it's just something he's toying with now. I'll tell you what. That first curveball I saw yesterday looked like a guy who's been throwing it for, you know, four, five, six years. It's not a, it's not a new pitch. So I do think we'll see it a little bit. I think it's going to be, you know, it's still bread and butter, fastball slider. But, uh, you know, all of a sudden, instead of looking for, you know, 87, something hard, 85, 87 slider, now all of a sudden there's a chance that something's going to drop in at 80, you know, 78, 82, with much more of a 12 to 6 o'clock type hook. Mark, when this, no, it's just something like, something neat to, to think about. When the hitter sees this, Mark, is it going to be a slider that looks like a curveball, or is it going to be a curveball that looks like a slider? I tell you what, the first one I saw yesterday, um, it looked like a curveball. It, it, you know, and, and I, I, I think that um, I, there was definitely a difference. You know, with, with the ones that I saw yesterday, so I, I don't think this is necessarily. You know, like he said, maybe you've read what he said, whether you call it a slurve, a curve, a slider, you know, a, uh, a sweeper we're calling. He's, it's just kind of um, – this one had much – it's not – okay, I'm going to take it back. It's not exactly 12 to 6, but it has much more of that look than that straight across, uh, you know, 
uh, slider that we've seen that, that's been so effective for him over the last couple of years. B- bottom line is it's less velo than a slider, so it's it's more of a differation from a fastball that's blazing in the upper 90s to a slower right, curveball. Exactly. So, I mean, that, that you, you could see why that would certainly help add to an already dominant starter. He is, <clears throat> excuse me, he is Mark Bowman of MLB.com joining us here on the Hobson and Hobson Newsmaker Live. I have a very good idea for eight spots in the in a normal lineup, what it's going to be like. Uh, tell me what Jared Kelnick really can be, because if it's any version for the other eight guys and then you add a legit major league stick, especially one that lives up to any sort of his thoughts from a year, two, three years ago, tell me what you think he really can be at this stage. I'd say this. He's going to be a better defensive player than Eddie Rosario, and he can provide similar power and maybe, maybe a little bit more consistency. The, the concern with Jared Kelnick is the strikeout numbers, whether, you know, if you're going against lefty, you know, facing fellow left-handers or going up and you know, having a right-handed versus left-handed matchup. The strikeout numbers, both of them, I, I specific numbers I don't remember, but both of them are around, you know, anywhere from 28 to 32 percent. Uh, for, for that to be okay, that, that he's got to be closer to a 30 home run guy um, right now i'd say last year we're looking at a guy who was going to hit 20 homers if he doesn't take out his frustration on that water cooler and break his foot um here's a guy that's going to sit in the bottom of the lineup whether he bats seventh eighth ninth there's not going to be a lot of pressure on him i see a guy who is really just blended in here in the clubhouse uh, really well. It's it's kind of funny. Yeah, we're looking at him. Yeah, he's the new guy. But you got Ronald Acuna Jr., Matt Olson, and Austin Riley. Uh, just you've got three MVP candidates there, and, and then you're just saying, oh, you know, Michael Harrison getting his attention. I tell you what, this was the perfect spot for a guy like Jared Kelnick, who was the number four prospect in the game not too many years ago. Yeah, they missed with the prospect list and that kind of stuff. But this is legit power. We're seeing the BP power right now. Over the next few weeks, it's going to be interesting to get a better feel for. At the same time, what he does down here doesn't necessarily matter. Um, You know, what he does once uh, that regular season begins, if he can be that guy that hits 230 with 25 homers, um, gets on base at, you know, with a 350 clip, whatever, um, you know, that's, that's the kind of guy that, that uh, I'd say he's going to provide you more value than you got from Eddie Rosario. Mark, when you, when you look at this projected lineup, and, and there's really not – this is not your typical club going to spring training where there's a lot of positional battles going on. You, you just don't have that, which is probably a good thing. It's, it's continuity on a team that's been winning a lot of games over the last few years. So it's going to be the same familiar names, Acuna, Albies, Riley, Olsen, Azuna. Harris, et cetera, you got two good catchers, which is rare for any team in, in the bigs. And you just mentioned Kelnick. Here's my question for you. When, when you look at last, the last two postseasons and you look at last year in a team that was rolling all year long, set all kinds of offensive records and hits under 200 against the Phils in the opening round, uh, is there a dog on, uh, on this roster? And, and really, you don't just want it on the mound. You really need somebody in that in that dugout the entire game that's that's going to be have a little of those jock peterson type intangibles who is that guy because on the surface it seems like a a number of really professional kind of mild-mannered guys which can be a good thing but is there anybody there that can kind of serve that role um yeah i mean it's tough to, to, to find that one guy in that 
in that lineup that it's going to be uh, just like Jock Peterson. I am, I'm, you know, there are a lot of nice guys that, you know, the one guy that, um, you know, the leader of that clubhouse is Travis Darno. I mean, he, he certainly can ha- impact that, that clubhouse in a lot of ways. Um, I do think that Ozzy has, you know, it's, it, he's been around as long as anybody. He has that ability to maybe be that guy to, to bring a little bit of that attitude. Uh, maybe it's, you know, we, we saw it even during the Maddox, Clavin, Smoltz, Chipper years. It was, you know, Chipper was always a leader. Chipper was always a clubhouse leader, but it just, it, it takes time to just take on more of a, a role. Sometimes the older guys have to, to get out of the way. And I think that's what we're seeing here with, with Ozzy. Uh, maybe, maybe he takes that step forward, but yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I alluded to that today in, in my newsletter. I was thinking that, um, you know, last year with the Orlando Arcia thing, um, you know, everyone, the, the Orlando's response was, I didn't know the media was going to write that I said, attaboy, Harper. Oh, you know what? I get it. You can be mad and all that kind of stuff, but it's, the response should have been, I said it. Who cares? What's the big deal? Not, I didn't know they were going to say that. You know what? Just be, just be that guy that, be that a-hole and say, I don't care what you think, you know? And, and just go ahead and, and, and bring a little attitude to the park. Last one for me, Mark. Uh, Reynaldo Lopez, there's no doubt he's a guy that's going to make the Braves' bullpen better, but we're also hearing that possibly he could be considered for the starting rotation. How do you see his role going forward here for the Atlanta Braves? I'll be honest with you. Up until about a week or so ago, I was assuming he was going to be an eighth-inning guy, but the more I started talking to folks, it, I, was, I quickly changed my tune. I said I was completely wrong. I was uh, it sounds like, you know, they're going to do more than just stretch him out. Uh, he's going to be given every shot in the world uh, to begin that season, begin the season in the fifth spot. Um, I think he's a guy who could give them, you know, they, they would love for him to give 20-plus starts in that role, you know, and maybe, maybe late in the season you start transitioning him uh, depending on how Ian Anderson's doing, how Bryce Elder's throwing, you know, where – where Chris Sale's workload is. It's nice to keep Lopez stretched out as an option as long as you can, knowing those all, those guys can also fill rotation spots. Um, but I, I do see Lopez being uh, beginning of the year in the rotation, uh, but at the same time, if they get to October and, and uh, in the playoffs, I see him being a seventh or eighth inning guy. Mark, you hit on a name I wanted to ask you about. I, I've said on record, I, I, I don't care what Chris Sale does in April and May. I, I really want to see Chris Sale in primo condition come the postseason because he can be an absolute difference maker in that spot. We know the age. We know the injuries. So what is the mindset on how to use him in spring training in the early months of the year and even beyond? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. When you, the first day they got him, you know, the question to Alex was, they, they, Alex made sure to, to say that, you know, this we got him to be a difference maker in October. How do you get him to October? That's the question. First time we asked, said, you know, what, is there any thought of, you know, having him start the season on the injured list or something like that? Hey, you know, you have him sit for the first two months of the season. You know, Alex said no to that. So, you know, I, and I, I meeting Chris Sale, I don't think he's going to agree to that either. As long as he's healthy, he wants to be throwing. Now, one more, you know, could you go ahead and just say he's going to throw, you know, three and four innings uh, in his first 
four or five starts there in April, then you're up to four to five innings per start. Um, or do you, do you, you know, every time there's a next uh, an opportunity to give him an extra day of rest, they certainly will do that. Uh, he's going to throw less in between starts. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the he threw 102 innings last year. You know, you look at how, what, where can you get to that point to where he's going to be fresh enough to give you 20 to 25 innings in October if necessary. Um, you know, I, I don't think you're wanting him to throw more than a total 150 innings next year. So how they manage his workload from April through October will be very interesting. Obviously, you're going to, you know, take off the reins a little bit maybe in September just to let him amp up. But, um, you know, exactly how they manage that workload while making sure they don't overtax the bullpen uh, is going to be very interesting. Final minute with Mark Bobin of MLB.com. It's real easy to forget Bryce Elder was an all-star last year. Obviously, the second half did not work out that way. You, you talked about the battle for the number five spot. Where, where is he now? I mean, is that just a classic case of a young guy being extended more than he had and maybe hitting a bit of a wall? Or do they believe he can still be a, a contributor, a major contributor this year? I think they, they have to. If you, if you know Bryce Elder, I think you've got to understand that, that he, you know, there's not going to be any metrics or analytics. Anything's going to jump out the page say he's that guy. He wasn't that guy coming out of high school where nobody wanted him except all of a sudden his high school coach got, you know, became a coach for an all-star game and the University of Texas lost a bunch of guys that year and they gave him a chance. He wasn't that guy necessarily that big draft choice you know he's fifth rounder there with the Braves but he's in the majors a couple years later he's a guy that when when people have doubted him he's found a way to succeed last year I do think he fatigued you know I think that was obvious I think he he was there was a point in time there in in June where he had a big start against the Phillies and Bryce Harper was praising him and and all with the change up and all this kind of stuff he went through that first half that was legit The, the second half uh, that was legit fatigue. You know, he, he did hit a wall at the end of his first full professional season or big league season. And, uh, you know, he grew from it. The one thing you're not going to do is is phase uh, Bryce Elder. He, he's, uh, you know, we've all, all of us have been around athletes where you just kind of understand they got that, maybe that little extra edge, you know. Maybe he's never an all-star again, but at the same time, he has that mental edge that, that I think is going to allow him to, to have some level of success at the big league level for many years to come. Mark, you're our all-star. You've given us a mental edge with some of that knowledge from spring training. Keep up the good work. We'll talk to you down the road. All right, guys. Take care. You got it. Mark Bobin of MLB.com. I wonder how many shirts he packed, how many golf shirts are in the suitcase for Mark Bowman down there in the Sunshine State. Coming up next, Chuck tells us how winning a national championship just became way more doable for multiple programs. It's Chuck and Chernoff on 6-8 of the Fan, 93.7 FM. DT, thank you very much. 3 o'clock hour rolls on. Presented by This Stuff Matters, helping you make the most out of what matters most. Like and subscribe to This Stuff Matters podcast at thisstuffmatters.net. Mike Morgan, Chuck Oliver, Steve West with you till 6 o'clock here on The Fan. Chuck, you've got some college football takes here on winning a national championship, how it became just more doable for multiple programs. I have to think that has to do with an expanded playoff. 
It does. Um, and it's not just math and, hey, I'm in versus before. Um, <clears throat> but that's kind of at the core of this. A subset of programs now exist in college football. And there was never a reason, no purpose for this distinction before now, could win over the course of a four-game season, no chance over a 13-game season. What I'm talking about is think Ole Miss. I, I will say think Georgia Tech, for instance. Um the biggest issue with Ole Miss, when we beat Bama in consecutive years and Georgia Tech, when we beat Georgia and almost beat Florida State, and that was in the ACC, that was just scoreboard stuff at the end, um, and then rip Mississippi State, we could win, we could have beaten two elite teams in a row, maybe. You were of a level, though, as a program where you could never get into the field unless you were elite over all 13 games. If you're Ole Miss or Georgia Tech, getting into the four-game playoff was the issue way more than actually being able to pull off those two wins. Um, for my lifetime, all right, like Ole Miss, through last season, um, Ole Miss has never been a national championship sort of program. Now it can win a title because of the diluted, extended nature of it's not just the playoffs. It's of the initial field. It's getting into the playoffs. And at that point, you look at Ole Miss. Could Ole Miss string together four really good wins in a row? Hell yes. What if it was still where we had a 14 playoff? You look at a program like Ole Miss. They're only getting into the playoffs if they're SEC champs. There is no scenario. Ole Miss isn't a program where they get in because the committee says, oh, it's Ole Miss. That's Bama. That's Ohio State of that ilk. Georgia Tech, I got news for you. Under any sort of other structure, whether it was 98 with the BCS or even the ACC adding a championship game, certainly, that 1990 national championship for Georgia Tech, it doesn't happen up until the expanded playoffs. They weren't a program that could have gotten into the field unless they went probably undefeated or had one loss and then won the ACC, and they weren't a program good enough to do that. So getting into the field was the big issue. Now they can kind of be Georgia Tech, get into the field. Think about what they did to Georgia, how they represented against Florida State, and then, I mean, ripped up a really good Mississippi State team. Georgia Tech could do that for four straight. The issue was 13. So now with a 12-team playoff beginning this season, like we're going to Harris again in a couple of weeks, Ole Miss is one of three teams that I'm betting. I literally, I'm walking to the window, Franklin on Ole Miss because they finally can get into the field. There was no scenario previously unless they went to Atlanta and won. That was it. Uh, this is why I've been, for lack of a better term, an expansionist for all these years. Uh, never liked the BCS, just having two. Four-team playoff was progress, but still not enough. I I'm all in on this. I can't sense if you are or you're not. I sense a little bit of cynicism. No, I'm just giving you the factual outcome, like. Again, Ole Miss. No, I get it. I get Ole Miss it. now can win. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just telling that that's what is. Now, you want some else what just is? We talked about this earlier. As great as this is for Ole Miss, for Georgia Tech, for programs, there's this middle ground of probably about 20 to 25. Like NC State could never, ever get in the playoffs without being basically undefeated in ACC champs. Now they can have two losses and get the playoffs. So they're in one of those programs. The reason – that this is not just all porch swings and apple pie is because you lose the championship games. You lose the rivalry games in November. Um, I, it's 
that it's not just free, awesome football. You lose some stuff. But you also have more relevant matchups in November for teams that are on the bubble. That Are they relevant if I know both teams are going to the playoffs no matter what? But, but, but I'm not talking about those games. I'm talking about the games where two teams that don't know if they're going to the playoffs that under over the last 150 years knew their season was okay. going to end. Can now they can actually make a playoff. Uh, you just said, no, no, two teams that might be on the bubble. They don't know if they're going, right? Correct. Okay. If it's November and a team isn't certain it's in the top 12, is it really a threat for the national championship <laughs> at that point? You're talking, Look, we may pick up I, our fourth loss on Saturday. Well, you know what? You ain't relevant. I, I Well, I disagree. I, I'd rather be in the 12-team playoff and be relevant. And, and to your Georgia Tech point, I mean, Georgia Tech was never going to be relevant for the next 100 years if we didn't expand this thing. But they could have a one- or two-loss season and not win the ACC. Right. And be a playoff team now. Right. Any scenario for Georgia Tech prior to expansion – they either had to be undefeated and lose the ACC title game. Oh, no, 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 you're still out. Or have one loss. And, like, they had to win in Charlotte no matter what. 100%. That's why this is good. They didn't have the resume, the the the, the cachet, no, the panache, whatever it is. And so now there's a scenario where they can lose one or two. And I love that. I, I, I Again, in November... For 150 years, if you lost your second game, 99% of the time you were done. Mm-hmm. Toast. And now that same two-loss team can play another two-loss team, and it actually means something as opposed to come mid-November we're focused on like five teams in college football. Oh, no. I'm you're, not, looking, you're not buying. I'm looking at like uh, two-loss LSU plays two-loss Alabama. They're both going to the playoffs. Yeah, that's one scenario, but a, like a – a, a two-loss Ole Miss team might not, if they lose that third game in November to Mississippi State, they might not be going. They might not. I mean, I'm just telling you it's not just free, awesome I agree, football. I agree. But, I mean, I got to look at it like this. Any scenario we've got, Steve West, there, the, there's going to be positives and negatives. I, I get every negative that's out there. I've heard it all 100 times. I understand that. For me, going from 4 to 12, the plus, the pluses outweigh the minuses. I mean, this to me is a win for college football and a lot of fan bases that never would have had a chance to play for bigger stakes. Now they do. I agree with you, and I'll gladly trade the conference championship game for seeding for those on-campus first-round playoff games that you're talking about because I just think that's going to be so much more magical and, and organic than the conference championship game. You go back to the BCS era, and starting in 1998 – most years, we got the national championship matchup that we were going to get anyway under the old system. And then you go to the four-team playoff, and generally the best four teams were there. Granted, it's pretty much from a pool of the six, same six teams, TCU and Cincinnati uh, excluded. Occasional gate crashes, yeah, but occasional, rare. Occasional, but it's the same uh, usual suspects. Uh, we go to this 12-team playoff now. Uh, and I think it opens all kinds of possibilities. And the four-team playoff didn't get exposed until this year. That's right. We're not having enough because I will go to my grave believing, had this been a six-team field, that Georgia would have recovered and won the national championship. I have no doubt in my mind that would have been the scenario. Finally, the four-team setup got exposed. Now it's 12. 
Whether or not it goes to 16, I think, is a legitimate question, and I would lean towards that's probably going to happen because there's so much money, and I think it's going to be so popular. But, yeah, I think to your point, Chuck, now there is an avenue for a Georgia Tech or a North Carolina State that maybe didn't exist before. Or, or an Ole Miss, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we, we there's probably about 20 schools we could rattle off right now that never would have had a chance that now on a given year where everything is right and they've got a once-in-a-decade type roster, they now have a chance. So you have that aspect. You have the aspect you talked about where you don't have a Georgia being left out because of one loss late. You don't have a Florida State being left out because their quarterback gets hurt. All these are solved. Are there some pitfalls? Are there some downfalls? Absolutely. But, man, I'll take it in favor of what we're going to have as opposed to what we had with 20 years of the BCS, which for me was awful, and and how many, 10 years of a 14 playoff, which was better but not great. I'm, I'm all in on it. All right. Tell you what else I'm all in on. Talking about a former Falcon assistant coach who's now a head coach, and maybe he has become the modern-day Buffalo Bills. We shall explain the 4 o'clock hours coming up. On 680 The Fan and 93.7 FM. Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team? Build a new office? Hey, it's Tug. And I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you're dealing with a new person? You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. Dot com. This is a 680 The Fan podcast. To hear more live and local sports content like this, tune into 680 AM or 93.7 FM or download the Fan app. Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team? Build a new office? Hey, it's Tug. And I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you're dealing with a new person? You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com.